When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Tuesday, June 1st. Well, just ahead, MicroStrategy explains how accounting rules are keeping other companies from buying crypto, especially Bitcoin. Plus, AMC says the recovery of the movie business is not yet at hand. But wait until you hear the CEO boast of the company's economic recovery. And we'll look at the company putting lasers into Apple's iPhones, a cutting-edge tech company out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, and TuneIn, even Pandora. Hit that subscribe button, follow us, and catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. And joining me as always to help with that process is executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the three most important business stories today? Hey, Corey, here's what we have. Number one, the global benchmark for oil closed above $70 a barrel for the first time in two years. That's as investors digested improving demand. Plus, OPEC members and their allies have agreed it's time for them to pump more oil. Yeah, a big move across the uh, oil sector. There's nothing more important in the oil business than the price of oil. And no one controls that more than OPEC. That's right. Number two, another cyber attack to report, this time targeting meatpacker Brazil-based JBS. The ransomware attack hit some of the biggest U.S. meat processing plants, kicking them offline and sending beef and pork buyers looking for alternatives. JBS reportedly told the White House the attack originated from a criminal group likely based in Russia. How many of these are going to get this week? What's what's the (laughs) over-under? Cyber attack a day, right? (laughs) Uh, We shouldn't joke about it, but you know, it is, yeah, this is the world we live in. We'll be talking to Zscaler about it next week. Yeah. And finally, uh, great company to do that with. That's right. And finally, the third most important business story of the day, get ready for Warner Brothers Discovery. That will be the name of the new company created for after Discovery attained AT&T's media assets. Discovery CEO David Zaslov will run the new Warner Brothers Discovery. This, This announcement came during a town hall meeting with staffers. Have you been on the um, in Burbank on the set on, on the on the lot there? Warner Brothers lot. Oh yeah, many times. It's such a cool. It's such a. It's cool a very place very cool place. You you very, walk down some of those sets and you realize you've seen it in like every third TV show or movie. Uh huh. Yeah, and it's all it's all kept up so well. It's just beautiful. You can eat off the street. It's gorgeous, but it's really fun to be there. Now, Corey, listen, I have one more story for you. Just one. We already had three. Now I already had three, but I have one more. The Wall Street Journal is reporting 
that Robinhood has added new board members as it prepares for an IPO. Now, this includes former World Bank chief Robert Zolik and its first female director, PricewaterhouseCoopers partner Paula Loop. So one to watch. Well, if any company understands uh, to uh, feed the ducks when they're quacking, it's Robinhood. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Devon Energy comes to light today. Devon Energy, that's right. DVN shares, they rose 13% today and they've risen by 158% over the last 12 months. Yeah, you were talking about OPEC and OPEC's uh, decision uh, that's driving up the price of oil, driving up a lot of oil stocks. I thought it'd be good to look at one or two of them. You know, I'm a big oil and gas geek. Um, I love these companies. They're just so fascinating to me. Uh, Really, because there's nothing, you know, you'd think all the technology coverage I've done in my life that I'd be a big tech guy, and I am. But I like the simplicity of the oil and gas business. Oil and gas is simple. Stick a hole in the ground. You see what comes out. There's the business. Nothing could be simpler than that. Um, it gets more complicated the more you get into it. But uh, Devon has picked some concentrated bets. And they have made a big bet on oil over gas, a big bet on the Delaware Basin over, say, North Dakota or Western Pennsylvania. Um, Isaac, you want to guess where the Delaware Basin is? All right. Let me take a, let me take a guess. Is it in Brazil? No. Is it in um, India? No. California? That's right. It's in Texas. <laughs> the Delaware Basin is part of the Permian Basin in Texas. Texas, uh, West uh, Texas, uh, New Mexico, kind of right over there. Um, and they are very concentrated in the Permian Basin. 80% of their um, sites are in the Permian Basin and very concentrated in the Delaware Basin. And uh, they talk a lot when they talk with investors and talk about their business. They talk about their inventory of places to drill, new places to drill, and how some places they've already drilled still have drillable bailout zones. Uh, What's a bailout zone? A bailout zone is when you dig a really deep well, maybe, you know, three miles. They've got got some three-mile lateral wells, just straight down three miles. Wow. Um, And if they don't find what they thought they were going to find all the way down there, they might get lucky and find some shallower oil-producing areas that can keep the well from being a total failure and bail out the project uh, when the rest of it turns out to be dry. So they acquired a company called WPX. The merger is is effective and done now. And they say with the WPX merger, they've got some new places to drill. They've got some bailout zones that actually look really good. And they say they've got a lot of oil that is ready to drill right now. And yet at the same time, they're not done shopping for other companies to buy. Here is the chief operating officer of Devon Energy, Clay Baspar. We're incredibly proud of the assets we have. You know, I think about inventory we have and the kind of the, the tiers of maybe the next five years, you know, ready to drill high quality. I'd put a bit to it anytime. That next 10 years, super high confidence that it will be into that first bucket. We're just understanding a little bit more on spacing and um, maybe kind of delineating the precision that we need from a risk basis to kind of put it into that first bucket. And then there's kind of beyond the 10-year scale that, man, we have those additional landing targets. We talked about uh, some of those earlier that they're not mature today, but I just the way these basins work, especially the Delaware Basin and these, quote, bailout zones uh, turn into some real premier assets over time. So it's not a question for me on on inventory. 
But at the same time, I know it is the right thing. Uh, financially, it is the right thing for our industry to consolidate. And so as we look for the opportunities um, to, to draw in another organization, build in some synergy efficiencies, you know, they don't need two of me, they don't need two legal teams, they don't need two accounting teams. All of those things are just natural synergies that benefit. And then again, that scale and scope really comes in. Some of the wins that we're seeing right now in our organization, kind of sharing that with another, there's obvious uh, value creation in that process. So that says to me that they are still hunting for other companies to acquire and that they see that growth and they've learned how to do those mergers. And uh, uh, as they say down there, to get her done. No? No. <laughs> Listeners can't see that. I'm just shaking my head. Uh, no, they Corey. can see it. <laughs> can see it. <laughs> Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at MicroStrategy. MicroStrategy. I've never heard of this company. MSTR. Really? Yeah, I haven't. MSTR shares rose over 1% today, but they've gained... 289% over the last 12 months. What is, tell us about MicroStrategy. Well, it's a software company and they have been uh, based in Northern Virginia. Um, they have been in this business intelligence business. They argue that they may have created the notion of business intelligence uh, in software. And they've been at it for a very long time, since the 90s. Um, there's a guy named Michael Saylor, who's a founder of the company and still the CEO and very active and uh, zigs when everyone else zags quite a bit. Um, uh, they have gotten a lot of attention lately for their decisions about buying Bitcoin. Now, this is a fascinating business outside of their Bitcoin purchases for the Treasury. But Fong Lee, the CFO of MicroStrategy, spoke at a William Blair conference today. And he had a lot of interesting things to say about software sales, about the evolution of business intelligence over the years, uh, about COVID and how work from home may be changing the sales cycle and the sales process, accelerating both. But I did think his most interesting comments today were about MicroStrategy's decision to buy 92,079 Bitcoin, which makes uh, this company, MicroStrategy's cryptocurrency's largest publicly traded holder of crypto. And Lisa, that the, the tech company uh, is a big believer in Bitcoin because they're a tech company, and they were looking for alternatives to what they were concerned about with the U.S. government printing so much cash uh, as a result of the COVID uh, and pandemic-inspired recession, they wanted to find a, a, a something different. They looked at gold, but they said, you know, we're a tech company. we got to find something better than this. Spent a lot of time studying Bitcoin. And yet they also say that other companies are hesitant to do this, to replace their cash and cash equivalent reserves with Bitcoin because of an accounting treatment mandated by the Financial Accounting and Standards Board, FASB which is preventing other companies from buying crypto, whether it's Bitcoin, Ether, or XRP, or whatever. Uh, don't they just hold it on their balance sheet as cash? Well, it's not cash, and it's not a cash equivalent, or so says FASB, so the Financial Accounting Standards Board. Again, so uh, Lee says if they take on, say, $1 billion of cash out of their cash accounts and buy Bitcoin— it no longer sits in a balance sheet as something like cash or cash equivalent. It sits in a balance sheet as an intangible asset, and its value can't change as the value of Bitcoin goes up. It can only be written down if the price of Bitcoin fails. But if the price of Bitcoin rises, that intangible asset stays in the balance sheet at the original value. And what is that value for MicroStrategy? Numbers easy to remember. They paid $11,111 for each Bitcoin that they hold. 
which of course are worth about $96,000 right now, but it sits on the balance sheet and it is an intangible asset at $11,111. Now, Lee was, he was critical of that treatment. He doesn't think it's the right way to do things, but he does say it's probably preventing other interested companies from buying crypto. The accounting is, is not uh, advantageous. Uh, Bitcoin is accounted for uh, using gap precedent as an intangible asset. Uh, but the FASB hasn't taken up Bitcoin specifically and, and decided how it should be accounted for. As an intangible asset, what that means is if by nature you want to buy and hold Bitcoin because you think it's a superior store of value, uh, which is what we do, uh, and you're not going to be selling your Bitcoin, you can only write it down in any particular quarter based on the low price of Bitcoin on your primary exchange in that quarter. Um, now, most of our shareholders see through that and realize that the book value of the Bitcoin is not equivalent to the market value of the Bitcoin. But uh, that's because we've been evangelizing and we've been championing this and our shareholders are quite knowledgeable. For companies who decide to get into Bitcoin 5 or 10% or some other way where their shareholders are not you know, as knowledgeable about Bitcoin, they may not realize that the non-GAAP treatment, the market value treatment is better than the intangible treatment. Now, how do you get around that? Some companies and, and, and less need for disclosure are buying into Bitcoin funds of one, you know, one form or another. The issue with the Bitcoin fund, depending on what your belief system is, is you no longer control that, right? You're investing in a fund, not into Bitcoin. You don't own the Bitcoin. You don't get to decide when you buy and sell the Bitcoin. You can get to decide when you buy and sell the fund. But that gives you the market to market or the market value treatment that a lot of uh, treasurers, CFOs, and corporations are looking for. Uh, we'd like to see this addressed. It's something that has been brought up uh, by Congress, uh, and, and they sent notes to the FASB, and others realize this, this is not the optimal accounting treatment. But until the FASB makes a change on this particular topic, I think it will pre prevent some uh, major public corporations from getting into Bitcoin in a big way. I just thought it was super fascinating that that his suggestion, he did say at some point that he's hearing from a lot of other CFOs saying, how can we do this? It also helps explain why some of those Bitcoin funds as ETFs or whatever about, that are priced in Bitcoin have a, uh, uh, traded a premium to the net asset value because the buyers can't go anywhere else. And we should mention, though, that Bitcoin is trading around $36,000. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Corey, what's your next drill down? AMC. AMC. AMC shares rose 22% today, and they've gained over 500% in a year. Yeah, Corey. it's gone from a really lousy business and a Reddit favorite to a, I don't know, slightly improving business. I mean, there were a lot of pom-poms flying when the movie results came in from the weekend, uh, but because they're so much better than they were a year ago. But they still stink. I mean, they're still a, a fraction of what they were uh, two years ago. Now, they reported quarterly results uh, after, you know, really what had been an astonishing and terrifying year for AMC. Uh, the company has was many times, maybe five times within months or even weeks of completely running out of cash and going sneakers up. Um, a lot of smart people were betting against the company and betting on its complete collapse, even as the aggressive Reddit traders were betting that it would survive. So in today's conference call, CEO Adam Aaron said that uh, the company's financial position has dramatically improved, not least of which because the company was selling stock to the Reddit true believers and bonds to anyone who would take them. 
All in all, the companies raised $2.95 billion in capital by converting some debt to equity. They also got a billion two in breaks from their landlords. They got $150 million from European governments, and they sold $80 million in other assets. So what, what's the future here? This doesn't seem like a sustainable business model. Uh, well, I mean, that's the question. Are the movies really going to come back? Were they in a secular decline anyway with streaming? And like so many other technological trends, was that decline accelerated? Was that tech trend accelerated by COVID and work from home? Um, now, it, it, undeniably, it bodes better for them that some people are going back to the movies. But they still say attendance is way behind 2019 levels. And they're careful to point out that the real recovery has yet to begin. Um, the, the real question is, what kind of capacity will they be allowed to have as people start to go back into the theaters because all these places have all these restrictions? What do they even want to do from a safety standpoint? They talked about a partnership with a Harvard School of Public Health and Clorox cleaning uh, on levels they really never have before. And what's more disgusting than the Florida movie theater? They want us not to think of those things right now. So CEO Adam Aaron on this morning's conference call talked a lot about what they've done to make their theaters safe from airborne infection and to encourage guests to return. And you'll recall back last spring, the whole world was worrying about what you touched. And in fact, we were out buying uh, thousands of MERV-13 uh, air filters for our HVAC systems because we were way out front that in addition to cleaning and sanitizing and wipes and gels and uh, masks and social distancing, boy, we needed high-tech solutions too to make sure that uh, the transmission of the virus through the air uh, was greatly minimized at AMC. So, you know, looking ahead, I'm sure the capacity limits are going to rise all across the country. We all know what President Biden has said. Fourth of July is going to be a great weekend in the United States, he says. Uh, we know that there were 250 million injections in arm in the United States 48 hours ago. Uh, and there are more than that today. And there will be a lot more than that by the end of May and by the end of June. Uh, and all this bodes well for uh, taking capacity levels up. But we're only going to do it safely. We think our, our associates deserve it and our customers deserve it. So uh, it, this is an interesting time. I was saying I don't care so much about stock price, but this is an interesting example of the surge in the stock price that might not have made a lot of sense because of the business allowed the company to raise more money and change their financial structure and survive to fight another day. All right, coming up next, our guest Kim Forrest of Boca Capital Partners brings us a fascinating technology company based strangely outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We're going to drill down on 2.6. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. 
Joining us right now, our guest, Kim Forrest of Bokeh Capital Partners. Uh, Kim, thank you for joining us. First of all, what is, is it? It's Bokeh, is that how you pronounce it? I pronounce it Bokeh. And what it really is, it's a photography term. It, um, it's a technical term about the fuzziness of a background. Um, and we've all seen it where there's uh, a subject matter of the photo and then kind of blurry background. So why did I why did I name a financial services company this? Well, A, I'm an amateur photographer. B, the um, website was available, and that's key. And then three, <laughs> um, yeah, the things that drive us now, right? And three, it kind of typifies how I look at the world of investing. Growth is something that we are always looking for, and that is our focus. And we see the background, but it's kind of blurry because we are looking for growth. Love me some portrait mode. All right, so, yes. so well, what a perfect stock you brought to us, I think, uh, uh, with, with Boca in mind because uh, it is a company that is – uh, maybe the near-term prospects are hard to decipher. Number yes. one, or the law, the near-term isn't the long-term is, and then and then secondarily, it is in fact involved in in the world of photonics, in kind of two <laughs> important ways. Talk to us about two six. Sure. So this is a Pittsburgh-based company, if you could believe that. Actually, it's not really. It's out in Saxonburg, which I know people from New York are going to think, or LA are going to think. Pittsburgh We're Silicon Valley, of like nowhere. Pittsburgh. Ain't no tech in Pittsburgh. Yes. Well, not only that, this isn't in, this is in farmland. So, um, you know, it's out in the middle of nowhere, but it does extremely high end and um, difficult to replicate uh, materials development. Its, uh, its original um, mission in life was to grow crystals that were used as the lens for um, industrial lasers in like cutting big chunks of steel. So you might say, well, it's going to be in this horrible environment. How how good does this need to be? Well, it's a laser. It has to be really good. So the guy, Carl Johnson, who created this company, um, developed a way to grow crystals very purely. And that's what he was doing for the first, I don't know, 10 years of the company's life is growing crystals. Now, he had this fork in the road that he could either have gone the patent route or he could have just tried to keep how he did this secret. And that's what he did. So I think this typifies this company that it's from industrial roots, although it takes a technology turn. And it doesn't necessarily do things the way you would expect a company to roll. There's a lot about this company you wouldn't expect. It has an $8 billion enterprise value. As, as you mentioned, it's in a farmland north of Pittsburgh. Uh, and it was started in 1971, and yet it's doing some of the most cutting-edge technology, um, both obscure stuff that goes in the back end of, of routers and servers uh, that give us the backbone of the Internet, and stuff as cool as the lasers that let you use your iPhone that do your facial recognition and let you do movable emojis. Sure. And and that is the crazy part of this. Um, one of the cooler things that I've actually seen when I've gone out to the company is they grow diamond crystals that they are then used in um, chip making machines because the uh, chemicals in when we're making semiconductors are so caustic. You need to have like something stronger than glass to allow humans to look in and see what is happening to the slurry as they're making, you know, the parts and pieces of 
semiconductors. So they grow diamond windows. Like how crazy is that? It's, it's, it's absolutely wild. I, I, I read through the, the 10K and I, I don't think I've ever looked at this company um, I'll, with one important caveat, which I'll get to. But it is, it is so interesting that there's so many products that they uh, are in. I have to say that I think that they do a poor job of telling their own story. That if you well, look at their investor presentations, they're more confusing than their 10K. Yes. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, as, as somebody that's looking for growth at a reasonable price, I love it. Bring it on. Be confusing. But then show it in your stock price at a certain point. Because growth really does drive this company, right? So it's not been on your radar, probably because it's too small of a market cap, or it has been. And its growth has been, um, we'll just say chunky, right? But at a certain point, we strongly believe that it is going to get its um, recognition for putting different companies together. It's an acquirer. And that's the other crazy thing. You wouldn't think a company from in the middle of nowhere would be an acquirer of globally based businesses and make them work over and well, over this, and over again. So what a perfect segue to what I tease, which is to say there is a company that I'm familiar with, uh, one that I heck used to own back long before my Bloomberg days. I own a bunch of a company called Finisar, a Silicon yeah. Valley company that was involved in the component in optical components for networks. And these guys acquired Finistar about two years ago, kind of quietly. Um, uh, which is a, just a giant uh, photonics business. Again, uh, putting those, those I think, uh, coherent optics within um, uh, uh, servers and, and, and – I shouldn't say servers – within devices that go on to help make the internet run basically in an optical network and run a lot faster. Right. And so far, they've been doing a pretty good job at cleaning up their product line, cleaning up their balance sheet, keeping the key people around. Um, I don't know if listeners will remember this concept of the neutron bomb, that it would it was a, a nuclear bomb that would destroy people, but not buildings. Okay, so it would go off. And um, so many companies are like that, where they, they kill the, or so many acquisitions are like that, that they kill the people that they really need to keep around and thus destroy value. And I think 2-6 over and over again, has proven that they know how to keep the core elements of why they buy a company there and then begin to make it better. And that's such an important thing in, in M&A writ large. I mean, I, I've always admired Cisco. I don't love, love the way they treat acquisitions on their, um, on their balance sheet necessarily, but they are so good at incorporating companies after they acquire them that that has been a primary driver of growth for that company over the years. Um, uh, but most companies can't pull that off, especially in technology, when the assets really do walk out the door every night. Right. And um, again, I've had the luxury of going to see this company over and over again because I'm local, but also because I've followed it and owned it for a long time, um, probably starting in, I want to say 2008 at my prior firm. Um, you know, we started to take a position then. But you can see that they, understand what their who their clients are and they try to serve them well they understand their employees are valuable and they're pretty good to the community that they live in error and work in so that's uh, it's it's old-fashioned esg where you're not getting a label put on you you just do things right and that's something that i look for in companies because in the long run it will cost you money to treat people poorly 
we, we, you know, or as my friend used to say, God got you. <laughs> yeah, you ought to do the right thing. Uh, what about the name of the company? Why is it called Two Six? Oh, this is kind of, and uh, this is the ultimate nerd name. It really is. So they um, originally uh, were using zinc and selenide, or I think it's selenide, to uh, create crystals. And those are from the two column and the uh, six column of the periodic table of the elements. And it's kind of like getting a purebred dog and calling it dog, right? So they <laughs> said, oh, well, we use these two, you know, uh, elements from these two uh, columns. Columns. Let's call it that. Nice. So, yeah, it's super nerdy, but it works for them. How have they been able to um, uh, continue to innovate in such specific ways? I mean, again, when you read their investor documents and you look at the things and presentations they give to investors, they don't oh, seem to put awful. it into buckets. But no. in, their, in their 10K, they do. And they kind of say that they're really focusing on, um, you know, really kind of two worlds that are a little bit overlapping, but uh, photonic solutions and compound semiconductors. Now, compound semiconductors increasingly are using um, optical things such as lasers to make them. And as you mentioned, the diamond windows and so on. Yeah. But how are they deciding what to go after within the components of technology? Well, I, I think they have a good eye on the future. And they're um, trying to, and I'll use a sports analogy, analogy, skate to where the puck is going to be, not to where it is. So they have Kind of like Sidney Crosby. Yeah, thank you. Go, go See, Pens. I can, I, can, I can talk a little sports. Yeah, <laughs> it's my favorite sport, but we digress. Um, but back, to, back at it here. What they've been able to do is identify where the laser, its, it's end markets are going, and they're going to try to supply that. They've been able to pick up not just, uh, they've been able to pick up parts of companies. There was a company called Eau Clara, and I think it was a European company, and they picked up two subdivisions that are key to their success right now in photonics. And it's because they were able to see that these gems were buried within a larger corporation that wasn't going to effectively be able to develop that business and thus the products that go along with it. So they they went and bought, bought it. So they are kind of brave where they will acquire. And as you see in their latest acquisition of Coherent, they uh, were in a bidding war, crazy as that is. Um, and uh, they understood what they were getting and how much they needed to pay, especially for the smaller acquisitions. They're very good. But I think that I now trust management after watching them for, I don't know, maybe 15 years, um, that they actually know where the industry is going and they're going to serve it by buying these half-built products and then putting more money and in, in engineering into it. It strikes me also that this isn't the worst time. Indeed, this might be the best time in the last 50 years to be manufacturing um, high-tech components in the United States, uh, when when we've got you know uh, uh, the election of President Biden uh, aside, we do have a strong notion of sort of turning back uh, to within our borders to get things. Uh, there is a big push for some of their customers, such as Apple, to manufacture within the United States. There's also tremendous disruption in the global supply chain that has caused a shortage of all kinds of components, not just the semiconductors that go into Ford F one fifties. Yeah. 
Now, I, I applaud them for that. And a little of that was driven by their military and Department of Defense business as well. Um, the Department of Defense doesn't really want stuff, some of their higher uh, technologies to be made outside the U.S. So some of that is based in their clients' requirements. Right. They talk about that as one of the risks uh, in their in their 10K filing, which is that, to say that there are some competitors who have been told they can't sell some of the products that they make. Uh, they were told that by the Trump administration at the time, but they list this, 2-6 lists this as a, as a risk in their business, that they may be instructed not to sell certain components outside of the U.S. because of the risks that it could cause uh, to the national security. Uh, is that something that you worry about with this company? Are there any significant customers or products they have that might be deemed too valuable to sell internationally? Um, no, I, I think that the stuff would probably probably be on the bleeding edge. The more um, uh, higher production uh, stuff that they're making is geared more towards both the laser world, the actual cutting things world, and also um, op, uh in the world of optical networks. And although there can be some of their, I guess, higher gigahertz transmissions that might um, be restricted, they have enough of the other products that we're not particularly worried. And they don't have any customer concentration, really, at least uh, they say that they have no customer that is more than 10% of their business, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, and it's rare in technology, right? I mean, uh, we're so used to, you know, somebody being the supplier for Apple or the supplier for Cisco, but um, no, their their stuff is widely widely used. They're also one of the only companies I've ever seen that does business with Apple and can say so, right? Apple always requires <laughs> that their suppliers don't mention the name of the company, so that uh, you might say we have a thirty percent concentration with one customer, but they could never say who it was, uh, Apple, in fact, calls them out and says that 2.6 is an important domestic supplier for them oh. of things like, as I mentioned, the lasers that let you look at your iPhone and can do the facial recognition or, um, speaking of Boca, can, can do the uh, the performance of your lens to see how far an object is away and allow it to focus. Yeah. No, I, I think that is key. And it, it is an oddball thing, but I guess it could be marketing that drove that, as you point out. When you look at the growth of this company, how dependent are they on acquisitions? Because the growth rate really has meaningfully changed. I mean, it wasn't so bad two years ago in March when they were growing at about a, uh, I don't know, like a 15% clip. But it is it is it has uh, gotten only better for them. Right. Well, I think they are lining themselves up. They're always very forward looking. So I think they're lining themselves up with this acquisition to serve larger markets. It is not that they are buying sales. And that that is really important in well, I, I what I'm trying to do. It does seem like they're buying. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to buy a company that's going to give you, you know, a product that sells a lot. But when you buy a big company like Affinisar, you're buying sales. You're buying a lot of other things. But, you're, you're, you know, they've got customer relationships and products that are in the market. They use some money, including debt or convertible notes, to uh, acquire these companies. Um, and so I mentioned, I, I gave the wrong statistic. They were growing at 19% uh, in, in uh, two years ago at this point in time. They're growing a lot faster than that right now on the top line. Yeah, well, I think it's really their end markets that are driving them. And I get that, you know, they're doubling themselves with just about every acquisition that they're doing now. And yeah, they are buying that. But I think they're looking at the organic growth rate that's going to happen after the acquisition. 
and getting excited about that and wanting their shareholders to get excited about that as well. I did see that Northland Security is excellent. Um, uh, uh, telecom analyst Tim Savageo did upgrade this stock recently. I don't care so much about stock upgrades, but he talks endlessly about the super cycle uh, in telecommunications right now. And these guys do seem like they're a beneficiary of that. Yeah, something that I, um, a couple of years ago, have decided to do, and it's been working for me, is kind of go downstream. As an ex-software engineer, I love software and I love forecasting, like, or I actually love covering and owning companies that I can understand, which is software companies. But with 5G, where I know it's going to be a big thing, and I kind of know where it can go, and that's Internet of Things. I'm not as interested in the uh, consumer side of like the coolness that 5G can deliver. It's really the business aspects that excite me, but I don't know what those end applications are. So going into the guts of the, of the uh, internet and going into um, telecom, uh, you know, provision Hardware. or the, yeah. the guts that make that, I think that's that I decided to do that a couple of years ago and it's been paying off and I think it will pay off and should be in part of your portfolio for a long, long time. We're using, we're making more data, not less. Yeah, no, it wasn't that true. The 5G is gonna be the start of that, I think you're right. Uh, Kim, uh, so thankful to you for bringing 2.6 to our attention. Uh, what a fascinating company. Kim Forrest is with Boca Capital Partners in Pittsburgh. And uh, Kim, how can people track uh, keep track of your thoughts and keep this conversation going? You're on Twitter. I am on Twitter. I tweet rarely, but you can uh, certainly uh, go to our website at www.bocacapitalpartners, that's B-O-K-E-H, and then capitalpartners.com, and sign up for our mailing list. Great stuff, Kim Forrest. Thank you very much. Well, up next in the drill down our bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. I told you that uh, 2.6 was growing at a pretty healthy 19% year-over-year clip. Uh, back uh, two years ago at the end of March in 2019. What's the CAGR? What is that compound annual growth rate now? We'll have that number when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And we hope you're listening to The Drill Down every day. Our goal is to make this your one-stop audio shop for news about what's happening in business. So if this has become your ritual, make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. Tell your friends and family, your dogs and cats, I don't know, leave a review. We want everyone to hear this show, and we appreciate you spreading the word. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. All right, the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. I told you that 2.6 was growing at a healthy 19% CAGR, compound annual growth rate. The CAGR right now, Isaac, 69%. There's your drill down bite, 69%. 69% is the growth rate for this company right now for revenues. So really kind of catching the tiger by the tail in the telecommunications business, but also making the acquisitions that help them uh, do that. All right, well, thank you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.